so, you know, uh, I recorded this earlier and for some reason the audio didn't come through. So I'm doing it again, but it wasn't that good of a, of a recording. So let's see if I can try again here. I think that Biden is in deep shit, right? He's in deep shit with gas prices. He's looking for any excuse to blame blame the, the high price of gas on anything other than his his energy policies, his administration, like he's looking to blame it on Putin. Um, and not that many people buy that the reason why gas prices are up, or at least not the only reason, is Putin. Uh, so he really needs to come up with something that sticks. And I want to offer him something here. Uh, I want to offer the entire Democrat Party a little gift, and that is that you should be blaming gas price increases and high costs of, of electricity, energy, right to power our homes. You should be blaming all of this on the Bitcoin miners. They are the perfect scapegoat. Now, why do I, why do I actually think they're the perfect scapegoat? Well, because most of these people, these Bitcoiners, right, are in fact on the right. They're your political enemy. They are libertarian types. They are Republican types. They're conservatives. So they don't like you, right? You should always want to blame a crisis, um, especially high gas prices, on your political enemy. And the right is pointing the finger uh, at the left saying, hey, look, you're responsible for increased gas prices directly through your green energy uh, energy programs, policies of this administration. So Biden is really struggling to come up with an excuse, right? He, they don't really want to abandon their green energy policies. It looks like they really don't want to reverse course here because they keep saying stuff like, we'll buy an electric car or, uh, or it's good. We need to sacrifice. Here, here's what Biden is saying. He's saying we need to self-sacrifice and pay a higher price uh, because of these green energy policies, because the climate is more important than your ability to afford to fill up your your gas tank. So they're really putting out, you know, contradictionary contradictions, I think, when it comes to the price of gas. Like they're saying on the one hand, suck it up, buy an electric vehicle. Uh, this is the price to pay to fix the climate. This is the price to pay. We all need to be in this together. We need to self-sacrifice. They're saying we need to self-sacrifice to fix the climate, right? So you just have to endure your high gas price. But they're also saying we need to self-sacrifice to the likes of, you know, Ukraine, right, to help you, to help Putin. They, a, consequ- a direct, direct consequence of these, you know, Putin uh, blocks, right, where they were blocking him, uh, from doing business, uh, they're trying to hurt Putin, right? But, but Russia has a lot of oil. So, uh, they created sort of a shortage, an extra squeeze, increasing the price of oil, right? So all of these policies, they don't really want to abandon them and inevitably, being against the fossil fuel industry, having energy policy set against them, uh, isn't going to help the supply issue. So what can Biden do? Like, who, who can he blame next? He's blaming on gas stations. He's asking them to lower their prices, but they can't really because they have costs. And they, if they were to lower their prices below what they pay for the refined oil, uh, gas, they would lose money and they would just close their doors. No one stays in business to lose money unless you, you know, you're, you're supported directly by the government. So maybe that's the end game. Maybe they want the government to uh, be the, be the gas station owners, right. And, and just lose money, right. Have to buy oil, but then just lose a bunch of money on selling it for cheap. Um, they could do that. But what would that, how would they do this? They'd basically just be printing a bunch of money in order to do this, this asinine policy. So really what Biden cares about, in my opinion, 
they really don't give a damn about the people. Like they really don't give a damn that you have to pay high, higher gas prices. What they care about is the perception of high gas prices going into this, this coming, you know, November midterm election. That's all they care about. Right. Uh, so they're just trying to help their party, you know, not lose some, some seats due to this gas price, you know, inflation, but their, their party really is struggling, you know, on inflation across the board, but the focus isn't right now tends to be on gas prices. So what they want to do is they want to blame corporations, right? They want to blame the oil industry uh, and they can try to do that. But any kind of policy that is that is directed toward the towards the oil and gas industry in a negative way is actually going to backfire. Like if they tax their profits, you know, if they um, whatever they do really uh, is, is basically going to backfire. If they put some kind of price caps on, you know, oil, that's also going to backfire. So they can talk a game. They can talk this game about how the oil companies might be responsible. They can talk this game about how Putin might be responsible. But but none of these none of these points actually are sticking with the public. The public has become uh, you know more aware of the of the price price increases, and they just um, I think that they're waking up. So, but but what could what could Biden do? That could really, really, really uh, maybe maybe help him out as far as the blame game goes. He really needs a scapegoat. And my option here is blame the Bitcoiners. Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining uh, takes up a huge amount of energy in this country. And no one really understands Bitcoin. Even people in the industry don't understand Bitcoin. And, you know, all you need to do is talk a big game about how these Bitcoiners are competing for energy, wasting it on this Ponzi blockchain project and, uh, you know, and using this energy when other people can't afford to fill their gas car up, they can't afford to pay for AC in the summer, uh, they can't afford to heat their homes in the winter, right? And you could just say basically like, hey, look, you know, if there was more energy around, if it was cheaper, we'd have no problem with the Bitcoiners using some of it. But the problem is, is that it's not cheap. It's scarce, right? Energy is scarce. Energy is expensive. So these Bitcoiners need to take a hike. But really, this administration, if Biden were to blame the Bitcoiners, they don't want to ban the Bitcoiners. Why? Because then they can now no longer blame them. So what you want the Bitcoin miners to do is continue to operate in this country mining Bitcoin. And then what you do is you tell the public, hey, look, hey, look at these Bitcoiners, right? They're the reason why you have a problem, why the price of energy is so high, why the price of gas to fill up your car, right? Blame these Bitcoiners. Who's the scapegoat? You know, if there's a bad, if there's a really bad um, policy, and the consequences of that policy, every politician is going to look for someone to blame. And the Bitcoiners really are the perfect people to blame, right? They're they're on the other side of the aisle. They tend to be Republican. They tend to be Libertarian, right? They they tend to snuggle up to all these, these Republican politicians. Now, they have convinced a few people on the left to support them, right, through heavy, heavy bribes. All these politicians are being bribed by the Bitcoiners. But they are the perfect people to blame. They are the perfect people. They are using, you know, some of the Bitcoiners are on board with ESG and the Green Movement. But the Green Movement needs to throw these people under the bus. Why? Because the Green people, right, they want our energy to be clean, quote unquote, clean and renewable, but they, but they also have the goal of if we can get away with using less energy, we should do that, right? We should do that. We shouldn't be wasteful of any energy. Uh, and, and so Bitcoiners are wasting energy because all the Bitcoin, you know, all this Bitcoin mining is just going to support this scam or this fraud, right, that is Bitcoin. It's a Ponzi scheme, right? And there's going to be a lot of people that have lost money in Bitcoin. Uh, we see there's a there's a huge crash right that recently happened and it's probably going to go down further. 
there's a lot of people that are going to lose money. Use that to your advantage, right? Get the people on your side and you can even convert perhaps even a lot of, uh, you know, maybe libertarians or Republicans who lost a lot of money in Bitcoin. And you can tell them, you know, hey, look, you should have never trusted, you know, these these Republican politicians. You should have never, ever trusted these people that sold you Bitcoin. It was a big lie. It was a big scam. Uh, and you now you're wasting, you know, our precious, scarce energy resources and driving up prices because it's economics 101, right? The, the more dem- people demanding a, a scarce good, uh, the more the price is going to shoot up. So, uh, you know, maybe the Democrats can even get a more, more Republicans on board who are falsely conned into joining the Bitcoin movement. And they can say, look, uh, you guys are to blame. Now, I do think that Bitcoiners are partly responsible for rising energy costs. And I do blame them for trying to lobby energy policy in a direction which I think is unsustainable. Uh, So what I'm doing here is I'm giving a strategy recommendation to the left, but I'm not on the left, right? I'm I'm actually more of a libertarian type, but I really hate Bitcoin and I hate the Bitcoin pumpers and I hate the fact that they're trying to lobby our government officials, our bureaucrats into setting energy policy that just helps their industry, helps basically number go up uh, and helps basically, basically what they want is the taxpayer to subsidize their Bitcoin mining operations, you know, through tax subsidies for renewables or partnering with the, the Texas grid operator, which is called ERCOT in Texas, uh, partnering with this person to, sorry, with this entity to, uh, to basically pay them to turn off and something called demand response. Um, and I just, I don't like Bitcoin personally. Um, I also think it's a, it's a huge fraud. So, uh, I want to see it ended, right? I want to see, I want to see a lot of pain, uh, not ended, right? I just want to see a lot of pain for the Bitcoiners. I want them to be sued. And I also think that uh, that even if, so I'm not recommending people ban Bitcoin mining because I think you can use them as a scapegoat. And I think that's actually more powerful than banning the industry. But um, because next time Aircot Grid fails, I want to be able to sue some Bitcoin mining companies, right? Some private entities. I want them to still be around. I want to, I want them to ruin our grid so that people will wake up. Uh, so anyways, that's, um, that is my recommendation to the left as somebody who's just, you know, observing this happening and Biden scratching his head, looking for anyone basically to blame on these, you know, the rising uh, costs of, of um, electricity. And I think the fact that most Republican politicians they're the ones who got on board with this uh, Bitcoin mining industry. And if anybody wants to call in, you're free to do so. Uh, but I think that you can really stick it to them. I think, well, there's a couple of senators right on the left, Gillibrand comes to mind, who's, who supports Bitcoin and crypto. But I think that if, if Biden were to come out against it, if he were to start talking about how, you know, these Bitcoin miners are pushing up, driving up the cost of, of electricity for everybody you know they need to shut off they need to go back to russia wherever they need to go to during this this energy crisis that we're experiencing and the funny thing is this is kind of happening all over the world um but i think that that would resonate and i think very quickly you know bitcoin would become very very bipartisan sorry it would it would become very partisan the Bitcoiners right now hope that it's bipartisan. They really hope hope this to continue. And to the extent that um, constituents aren't aren't running to politicians because they've lost money, perhaps they can they can pretend like it's bipartisan uh, and pull the wool over people's eyes because they're just not focused on Bitcoin. They're not focused on this issue. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Good. I was just listening to your 
take for probably only about five, 10 minutes, but it reminded me of when I saw, so it was a blackout in Tehran because they were energy grid was overburdened from Bitcoin mining. And <clears throat> I mean, the oil is nothing to them, right? They just pull it right out of the ground and turn it into money. And you, so it's right to be concerned about that, but it's really just symptomatic. Cause why, like think about why Bitcoin exists. It was a way to, divest in the u.s dollar to sort of decentralize the idea of money but why did they do that it's a it's a fraud but the, the dollar is a fraud that's they're responding to the fact that the fed has total control over who has access to wealth in this country they devalue that with impunity i mean what what is it right now i mean i mean let's do a little bit of math okay so i agree the- i agree completely with that i don't like the dollar printing either but i don't think people Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, but they would stop with the funds rate, the coupon rate, the repo rate, the, the, the ways in there's a lot of hidden ways in which they deploy monetary policy. And they tell you that the inflation is at 8%, which is already outrageously high. But they're all, for first of all, they're comparing like steak in 1980 to ground beef today to say that beef went up only 8% as if only. Yeah. Is. And yeah, so, like, I, if you go steak to steak, uh, it's almost twice that, and that's still not prorated. Meaning, if you own your house, you're being counted. So, people who rent their housing and commute to work unpaid have a cost of living a year over year that's more like twenty percent, and one point two to the fourth power is two. What that means is, every four years, the purchasing power of the money in your bank account gets cut in half. That's insane. That's sure, what I agree. Exists. I agree. So, like, well, you got to just punish Bitcoin out of existence. What you can do is stop the Fed from being able to use a currency as a means of reinventing serfdom. I, I, I agree that I, I don't. I'm not like I'm not defending the dollar here at all. Um, and I agree that we have really high rates of inflation, and what the Fed is doing is basically theft, right, through stealing other people's purchasing power. Uh, but I don't see any evidence to support why Bitcoin is an alternative to, to, to the dollar. I mean, everything, Bitcoin is priced in dollars itself. Uh, well, you can so, measure anything in dollars. You can measure lumber in dollars. That doesn't really mean anything. It's all about where the floor is. And Bitcoin can become real. And already, like, the, you can have a real floor, so it's not all fake, if you can say, they have an El Salvadorian coffee exporter who can pay their tax liability in Bitcoin, which they can now, then Bitcoin has a a static value. Now it's pegged, in a sense, to coffee beans. In Australia, I think, adopted it as well. Because they can pay their taxes in Bitcoin? Yeah, if you can pay your taxes in Bitcoin. Like, that's why the dollar... No, not necessarily. Because you're assuming that the government is going to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet and not sell it for another currency, right? Well, the El Salvadorian government does hold it on their balance sheet. They bought sure, a but, of it sure, but sure, but like that's not turned out to be so successful for them as of now. Right? They're they're deep in the red. I yeah. know they haven't sold, but um, yeah, I'm just saying theoretically, if, as long as the only reason they tax uh, every little microtransaction in the United States is to make everybody need dollars. It's the the reason that it you can't you can't live without it. The reason it has a sort of casts a pall over your life is because you can't live without it because everything requires it. But if you can, all it takes is enough people be selling enough necessities that accept it as payment and it becomes real. And I'm not trying to say that that's what we should do or that it's a viable as its current state as an alternative to the dollar, but it's definitely in, in no way worse than the dollar because it's definitely worse than the dollar because it's a Ponzi scheme. It's it's very the dollar is a Ponzi scheme. Like I'm not disagreeing. With I, and you, I, I'm right. not. You're I'm right. not defending. <laughs> I'm not defending the dollar as it exists right now. It's not pegged anything. I want the dollar to go back but, to but it's the root being of the a problem, reserve. Isn't Bitcoin? Bitcoin has emerged as a sort of way around the dollar. If if the dollar weren't a, a Ponzi scheme of its own, weren't a criminal institution of its own, exploitative in its very nature, then Bitcoin would not exist. How is Bitcoin actually like providing an alternative to the dollar? Because you can hide your transactions because you don't have to record. You can't hide your transactions. Everything is tra- is transparent on the blockchain. 
It's anonymous, though, nominally. It doesn't go but through it's banks. Not anonymous. It's pseudo-anonymous, but it's not completely anonymous. It's anonymous enough that nobody's going to go through the trouble to find out when I'm buying a pizza and from whom. And it doesn't go through the major banks. That is the major hub through which everything is observed, recorded, and taxed. And if, as long as you keep it off of the balance sheet of Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch and Citibank, then you can have an economy that's sort of parallel to the other economy and currency that doesn't lose its value at, you know, 20% every year. That's so why you're conflating two different things, though. Like, so this is a noble goal to have transactions outside of the bank, digital transactions outside of the bank. I'm all for that. But that's very different than having a stable unit of account that can act as money or a medium of exchange where things in the real economy are priced in this thing called Bitcoin. And I don't see that happening. That Nothing is being priced in Bitcoin. It's not treated as a unit of account. It's just a way to move like dollars because there's a price for Bitcoin in dollars. It's a way to move real money right now, which is dollars. For now. But you could yeah. peg it to the Chinese yuan as well. What? You could peg, you could peg what it to the Chinese yuan? Bitcoin. Bitcoin? Yeah, eventually. Well, they don't, they don't really want to peg it to anything. They want it to be free-floating, I think. Like, just because they don't want to back it with any, any kind of real asset or other currency or good. They just want it to be completely, like, unbacked by anything. That's my understanding. All you need is enough different types of people who sell enough different types of things to accept it as payment. That's, I mean, that's, again, that's true of all money. It's like, it, yeah, it but that's quickly a becomes a weird philosophical discussion about what money is, you know, like our treasury securities money, because the banks call it cash on their balance sheet. They can turn it into money via collateralization at any time. And they use it to pay each other and people funds trade securities for Boeing stock without ever turning them into dollars. So is that money? You know, it's just like, what's money? Money so, is the common medium of exchange, and commodity I can use money. Is shells as a medium commodity. of exchange, if I want to, you know, all I need is somebody who'll take them. So the common medium of exchange is what typically we refer to as money, and you know, back in the day, people were using shells, sure, but but it, it didn't stick, right? <laughs> Um, well, my argument is basically just to go all the way back to the beginning that Bitcoin is it's, it's too convenient of a scapegoat and it's not the root of the problem. And it shouldn't have ever existed in the first place if the Fed wasn't basically a machine of upward wealth mobilization. I'm not defending the Fed at all. I just don't think that, you know, Bitcoin is the solution. Uh, and I think that um, I'll just ask you this, since this is this was sort of the topic of my my thing. Do you think that Bitcoin mining should be allowed to exist when we have a true energy emergency, when people can't afford to pay for their electricity, you know, AC or heat in their home. Do you think that Bitcoin comes before that or after that? And sort of, if you think you can disallow uh, the mining of cryptocurrency, then why can't you disallow our current monetary policy? It's much more easily done efficacious and strikes more closely to the root of the problem. It's like, take all the political energy that you well, want. Well, you're to not in. answering my question. You're acting like a typical Bitcoiner, right? Where you're evading and throwing. I'm in not a Bitcoin. I don't want issue. Bitcoin to exist. I don't want it to be the answer. I want the oh, reason well, it exists. Like you're defending it. <laughs> I'm defending it. Like I'm just because I'm saying that you're scapegoating. It doesn't mean that I am defending it. I want the reason for its existence to go away because you're never going to succeed at legislating it away. You need to take away the reason for its existence, which is the exploitative nature of the dollar itself. Yeah, and I think that the Bitcoiners don't focus on this enough. I think that they need to be repealing BSA laws, right, which invade our privacy. I think that they should be lobbying more strongly against you know, policies to rein in the Fed somehow. But here's the problem is that they have all these criticisms that could be correct of the Fed, you know, printing too much money. I agree with that. But they always offer the same narrow uh, solution, which is Bitcoin related. And in my opinion, they're just offering the wrong solution here. It's uh, the only solution they can have in the absence of any movement against the Fed. Well, so now you sound like you're defending Bitcoins, but then before you sounded like you're not. Def you said I'm attacking you were the reason for its existence. You can't legislate it away. It exists in a parallel dimension where you, people are always going to find a way to trade in some sort of currency that is not the dollar because so it's even, too inflationary. I, I get that Bitcoin's global and that if any one country bans the activity of mining, it can go to another country. And I realize that. So 
Yeah, if, you can't like people can turn sunlight into Bitcoin anywhere, and you can't stop them. I, I don't want to stop them. I'm just saying that that you could get a lot of people very angry if they see the price of gas going up, and the, and then they they see a Bitcoiner on TV, right, on on some show, talking about how Bitcoin mining is necessary, right? So Bitcoin's not why the price of gas is going up. So there was a gas station right here in my town that came in and dropped the price of gas. 10 cents because okay, there's kind of a little so, mini so, monopoly going let me, on. Let me, let me interrupt you real quick. Let me have you answer this question. If there's more people bidding for certain assets, say energy, and keeping keeping the supply the same, if there's more people demanding this energy for whatever reason, will the price go up? Neither the demand nor the supply has changed. Now, if I sell you no, something, no, no, no. my costs have gone up. Of Bitcoin. The existence of Bitcoin means that there's more people Bitcoin miners in particular, uh, there's more people demanding energy for whatever purpose. That's true. Like if the Bitcoin miners, if Bitcoin was never invented. That is a negligible amount of energy than what goes into aluminum production. But no, my question is, does it affect, does the demand affect, you know, upward prices on an asset that's, that's being kept in, you know, the supply is, is the same. That's More like saying my farting assets. adds to global warming. It's nominally true what you're saying, but is a negligible amount of energy consumption. Okay, so you did admit that it's true. That's good. That's the first step. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. It's also so, true. So, that if so I, like, someone that can't. So somebody. So the United States, right? Energy is pretty scarce right now. We have this energy emergency, and the prices are going up. For you have no sense of scope. If I shoot a cow, I've raised the price of beef too, but that's just me shooting one cow. Okay, like, but now, no I'm ta- now, now I'm talking about perception. So somebody who can't afford their gas, right? Ga- they see gas going up. And then they see the Texas Republicans uh, basically cut a leg up to the Bitcoin miners saying, yeah, come to Texas. Come here, mine, mine for Bitcoin. That That is going to, the perception of that is that, you know, there's more people coming to Texas and there's more people that require energy that's going to bid up energy. And the perception of that is that these Bitcoin miners are coming in here and have in bidding up for electricity, just like I have to pay for electricity, too. The increased and price of energy is price not is going, going to, go to the increased cost of production of energy. It's just monopoly pricing power. It's basically Wait, a rent extraction. Say your point again. Sorry. If I sell you something, but my cost to produce it went up. And I sell you, and I only make for an increased price, but my profit stays the same. That's inflation. But if I raise the price of something, that's my costs did not go up, and it your price increase goes all into my pocket. That's just price gouging. All the price increase you, that you, you see right now is going on to the profit of the companies that sell it to you. Ethanol. So you think that you think that these companies uh, that sell gas right now. They're just price, like their costs are staying the same. You can look they at their profits and see that it's perfectly proportional to the price increase. It's not rocket science. Like it's right there. They brag about the profits because they want their stock price to go up. They're not even trying to do hide you, it. Do you admit that energy prices have gone up in the past year? Do you admit that natural gas prices and oil prices have, have and, gone and up? Every in the past single year? penny has gone into the pocket of Chevron and British Petroleum. It is not the case that they have like exorbitant cost increases. They own the, the, the people who have uh, the bottlenecks on the transportation. They own the people who get the subsidies from ethanol. They own the like every single supply line that gives access to every single town. Like they get the profit from every single one of those things. And if hey, they have uh, a smokescreen like Biden or Ukraine or COVID, they can get people to blame that and not just their own opportunistic price gouging. It has nothing hey, to do with um, Bitcoin mining. There's another caller here that I'd like to give an opportunity to speak, okay. so I can come back to you if you want to to wait. No, I have to I have to keep myself from burning my food, but thanks for the call. Sure. Where was he? Hi there. Hey, I didn't really get to read your messages, but I just saw you said they come in here. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, I think I I do feel like I largely agree with some of John's points, and I disagree with some others. Um, but I think first things first, we should. Um, I would like to just claim that uh, Bitcoin and most of these other so-called cryptocurrencies are not actually 
really currencies. They are just an investment asset. Um, I think I something like, I, I, don't, I don't remember the percentage, but it's an incredibly small percentage of uh, cryptocurrency transactions are actually used to buy anything. Uh, most of it is speculative behavior. Um, I would say that the 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 other one of the other things I disagreed with John about was the um, the electricity or energy consumption. Um, the internet service provision, um, basically, you know, the actual servers that host the internet's content um, and host websites and whatnot, they use roughly as much energy as the airline industry. At least in the United States, which I think is probably a good proxy for most of the the West, anyways. Of, of, um, anyways, they they use an incredible amount of uh, energy just to host the internet and the the mining for cryptocurrency that are that are now done through a relatively small handful of larger conglomerates. They've kind of almost taken the they've almost taken on the role of like central banks or large. Um, corporate banks in the realm of crypto investments, um, their energy consumption is nearly as much as the entire web services sector. So it is an incredible amount of energy being used. And I think that the, the government policies that are, that tend to be neoliberal, that tend to be exemplary of, of a huge problem with capitalism is that the resources in a capitalist society are used to, produce capital or they are used at the whim of those who own the most capital. So people in Ireland, for instance, or in uh, rural parts of my home state in Washington, they might have trouble getting access to water. Uh, They might have to pay more for their electricity bill. uh, Whereas a data center doesn't pay by the gallon or the liter for the water they use to cool their equipment. um, And they have no issue purchasing the electricity, although it actually provides no productive good or service for any of humanity. Um, a data center? A data center is equivalent. You can think of it like a, like a mining, you know, a, a, yeah. just a building what, full of computers. What, what was your last line there? Uh, did you say a data center doesn't provide any utility? I meant mostly these, I meant mostly these, uh, crypto mining, uh, facilities, but at the same time, uh, I think that when you're prioritizing running a data center in a rural area because the property value is cheaper, the people who are living there who are, you know, working in a fucking auto repair shop or are farming or, you know, whatever else they're doing, they're a teacher in a small town or something. If they can't afford electricity uh, or get access to good clean water and a data center can. Yeah. I think that is, um, I think the, the, Cons far outweigh the pros of hosting that data center there, but I was mostly talking about cryptocurrency um, and their kind of data, their their cryptocurrency mining. Excuse me, um, their physical centers, the the crypto mining centers are um, yeah. almost entirely a waste, uh, to, no matter how you look at it. But for internet service providing uh, data centers or uh, NSA data centers or whatever, where they tend to be hosted are these more rural areas because they can buy a lot of property to host this large warehouse. Uh, They also tend to be in municipalities that don't have a lot of tax revenue. So a company with a lot of money or a governmental agency can throw their weight around some more and kind of bully that uh, municipality into gaining concessions that otherwise a normal person would not be able to. I'll I'll just kind of give you my framework for how I think about this stuff. And I'm not really one to want to tell certain industry that they shouldn't be allowed to buy power, right? Or, or picking winners and losers saying, you, you should be able to buy as much as you want and you shouldn't be able to just because you're crypto. But uh, the way that I look at it right now is that the Bitcoin miners are, they are, they're lobbying power. They are now affecting energy policy. They are now setting energy policy. So even as somebody who's not a Bitcoiner, I have to deal with the consequences of their energy policy, uh, you know, that they get passed, right? Or they, they cut, you know, I'm in Texas. I mean, that was partnering with ERCOT. That was kind of my argument. Um, I I do wonder, though, why you would say you don't agree with winners and losers with current policy. Um, 
well, I don't think it's possible to actually avoid doing that if you're crafting any type of government policy. Well, I'm, I'm giving the I'm giving the Bitcoiners sort of the benefit of the doubt at first. So I'm starting at this point where I'm looking at all these different people that buy power and saying, well, you know, we should be generous and we shouldn't really not allow someone to buy power for their their manufacturing of whatever good or service they're they're making. But the Bitcoiners lose this ability to buy power whenever they start um, lobbying and setting energy policy for the rest of us. That's my opinion, is that they lose the ability to be to say, hey, we're just somebody buying power like we're like a manufacturer of, I don't know, tires or something. And now you're saying we can't buy power? Well, no, because they are actually... Uh, getting in bed with government officials to set energy policy in their favor, number one. But number two, you have to look at what are they producing with this power? And in my opinion, the only people that benefit from the Bitcoin miners using so much energy, of course, are the people that own Bitcoin. No one else can benefit from this activity. The world isn't richer, right? And Bitcoin is a non-productive activity. So it's got that working against it, too. Like, it doesn't actually create wealth or create you know, uh, it doesn't actually help people flourish. It only helps enrich the Bitcoin people that are already invested in Bitcoin. Uh, so I think you just kind of made the same argument I made. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe just a different way. Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is not a productive industry. It does nothing that's good for anybody. The government's priority should be to ensure prosperity um, that otherwise would not be attainable. And if it's not if it's not doing that, it's serving private interests. Um, so that that yeah, is what it's doing with setting energy. Bitcoin in favor of uh, it's setting energy policy in favor of Bitcoin. And you know, energy is very very crucial to a nation. It's security, and so perhaps you know the gov- the government probably does have a say in what you know what particular industries get get to use it when we're under a scarcity event, when we have you know this shortage, when prices are going up they probably can have some kind of emergency authority and say, look, there's people that need gas to actually transport food. Sorry, but your Bitcoin mining is at the back of the line here as far as priority. Yeah, and this and is why I support were, we like were, nationalizing key industries. Because if you, yeah. One more comment. If we were a very rich country, say gas was at, say gas was <laughs> 90% lower than it is today. I would say that most people wouldn't have a problem perhaps. Or maybe not 90%, but it's, say, far, far lower. And we are a really rich country. We are no longer a wealthy country. Like, we are in debt, right? We don't have the, the luxury of mining victims. That, that, that should go at the very, very bottom, of my opinion. Well, a couple things there. Uh, the United States does still have um, some of the largest, like, reserves of currency in the hands of private individuals. I mean, there are there is no wealthier country um, via, technically via GDP or, um, or private wealth. Although China has a much larger purchasing power per individual now than it has for years, but still the United States has a lot of money. Um, so I, so I think that again, this kind of speaks to like capitalist and privatizing policies where for decades now, the policy has been at the whim of an, of a number of private interest groups and the public resources, the natural resources, the, the crucial uh, industries are not in the hands of the people. So if you take a country like Mexico right now, Mexico does not produce all of the energy that it needs to run its own country. It has to buy a lot of fuel and energy from the United States currently. Now they are trying to change that, but the point being that they have a nationalized uh, oil industry. Pemex is almost a monopoly in the country. There are other gas stations, but they are kind of, they have a sort of a, almost a, a, a price ceiling or like a, a regular, a regulating effect from the national gas station because they don't actually like price gouge so much. So even though the price of a barrel of crude has gone up, um, at least for oil futures, so that if the price of gas at the, the the publicly run company stays the same, they'll lose money. But they're doing that because they consider energy a public good. So they're they're causing their national 
um, oil industry to lose a little bit of money in the short term while they work towards energy sovereignty because they don't want to fuck over their population. Um, and to John's point earlier, there have been higher prices of a barrel of crude recently, um, and they weren't charging this much money per, per gallon at the pump. So it's certainly price gouging. Hmm. Yeah, one thing you said just stood out to me, uh, the fact that you said we're a rich country. Uh, we have, um, I don't think we are just because we have a huge national debt and um, the, the federal government has to basically get the Federal Reserve to buy a, a lot of their, uh, most of their bonds that they issue, right, so, so that it can, um, so the government can get spending money to spend on all kinds of programs. And I'd also point out that we don't have a sovereign wealth fund, I don't think. A lot, some other countries who have a surplus uh, have a sovereign wealth fund where they hold, you know, either you know, gold or uh, other countries' um, treasury bonds or currencies. I believe the United States doesn't have that. So I don't know what you said. Well, you said something like this is the reason why you thought we were a rich country, but I, I missed it. Well, we're a rich country by GDP, um, and we're a rich country by the wealth uh, that individual, private individuals hold in the country. And if you look at where that wealth comes from, it tends to come from exploiting the labor of workers uh, without a fair reimbursement of their pay. If you look at, for instance, um, you know, real wages adjusted for inflation and buying power in the 60s and 70s of the average worker, they were far, you know, their money took them a lot farther than it does now. Um, and productivity has only increased since the seventies in the United States. The, pro the, the actual like productivity of workers and companies has increased that entire time. And yet the wages of workers have roughly stagnated and the wealth of private individuals, billionaires, um, capitalists has skyrocketed. This comes from government policy that gives them subsidies and doesn't enforce labor laws for any type of, of fair compensation for the value that your labor produces. Um, and it also, again, like I mentioned, I'll, I'll reiterate uh -huh. subsidies. A lot of these companies, for instance, telecom is an extremely profitable industry in the United States. Uh, most of the technology that underpins the telecommunications in industry uh, was created by the military or was created in public universities, both of which receive an incredible amount of research dollars from tax money. So they're taking tax-funded, publicly funded technology, creating an industry off of it. They often get land subsidies um, to install their equipment, and then they, you know, for for very low input uh, on the on the, you know, they they have very low financial input if you consider their entire history and business as a whole, and yet they just collect rent off of a technology that the people paid for. Um, so this is the type of situation yeah. that the U.S. government enables um, because it has no input from the people. So, yeah, that, I agree. I agree with maybe half of that. Yeah, um, I, I tend to think like we measure wealth. Well, I don't really pay attention that much to GDP because uh, that includes government. I think government spending, which I don't think is necessarily. No, GDP is gross well. domestic product. It's like the, but the entire healthcare expenses are included in that. Yeah. Services. Um, uh, That's projected to grow, by the way, as a percentage of GDP. Right now, I think it's about ten. Uh, it's projected to grow to twenty-seven, and again, the same. It's the same reason. It's because it's privatized. You have you have a middleman in between you and any. Uh, healthcare provider, whether that be a dentist or a doctor or a nurse or a naturopath or whoever, in order to pay that person, you tend to have to pay a mafioso middleman who's going to charge you an exorbitant amount of money per month and then pick and choose what they have to actually cover at the end of the day when you need healthcare. They decide to deny coverage as much as they possibly can because it increases profitability. So um, I agree that doesn't actually necessarily signify that the people in general are wealthy, uh, but it is a it is a it is a sort of industry of wealth hoarding that does contribute to the United States GDP. I think GDP is a pretty poor measure of whether or not all the people are wealthy. But my general point is that 
government policy made this problem and government policy has the power to fix it, i.e. stopping the corruption um, and expropriation of public resources and redistribute the wealth that these people have stolen from the public. Yeah, perhaps. And I, I think healthcare is really messed up. I think it's a mix of bad private actors and also bad government policy. It's the same, same issue, but uh, that could be a whole other debate, which I actually don't really have time for. <laughs> but um, I probably, I actually need to go here, but I appreciate both of you guys for calling in. Do you want to take another like three minutes on uh, energy pricing and and scapegoating? Because I do think that's a good point. Oh, okay. Um, well, my I don't know. Were you here in the beginning of my call? Probably. No, I jumped in like halfway through. I think it was like twenty six, twenty seven minutes in. So I, I I basically just wanted to point out that I think that Biden administration could scapegoat energy price you know, rise in gas price rising on the Bitcoin miners. Because um, a lot of people don't know what Bitcoin is, but if, if you just educate them and, you know, or propagandize them and you tell them that the Bitcoin miners are using a lot, you know, energy and that's contributing all things being equal, right? Where we have a shortage of energy, right? So supply and demand economics 101 is the price of energy going up for the people. And if you could also take advantage of the fact that Bitcoin has collapsed, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin and crypto prices have recently collapsed. Um, you could, you could play off of the anger perhaps that a lot of normal people who maybe got into this and have lost money, uh, feel, but so, so Biden is looking for someone to scapegoat. He's having a hard time blaming it on Putin. He, he's having a hard time kind of blaming it on the oil industry. I mean, some people, some people believe that that line, um, but he doesn't really want to change his energy policy, right? He has this energy policy directed towards going to renewables and, inter- and green energy. So he needs to, to di- deflect, you know, focus. And I think the Bitcoiners are a good, a good scapegoat because it's what they're doing is Ponzi-like. What they're doing with Bitcoin, you know, using all this energy up just to mine Bitcoin only helps the Bitcoiner. And it's not for some real utility, right? It's not to feed yourself or to cool your home or eat your home. It's to basically propagate this Ponzi scheme, Ponzi like scheme. Uh, and a lot of Bitcoiners happen to be on the right, so they're enemies of people on the left. Uh, and also, a lot of Republicans have jumped on board with the Bitcoin movement. So it kind of just makes natural sense to me for the left to. Um, to basically start blaming a lot of the price increases. And I think it, part, it is partly true that the Bitcoiners are partly responsible for increasing prices. Uh, so let me, so can I, I jump in? You could easily do this. I kind of want to make a, uh, yeah, one more point. I think that they could create a documentary or do some marketing around this issue and, and blame them. So I'll let, you, I'll let you go now. So I think, first of all, um, I guess I'll just start with like why are energy prices rising? And I think I'll keep it really quick and say that um, the, the, the EU and the United States sanctions against Russia, um, particularly the Russian oil and gas industry, um, they have caused oil futures, which are basically, they're basically projections. That doesn't mean that the, the barrels of oil that are currently being made refined into from crude into gasoline for the pump, that doesn't mean that they were purchased at 112 or $122 a gallon. Uh, that means that they're going to begin selling barrels of crude at that price because they expect the, um, the various different policy, um, various different policy choices to affect the market in a way that's going to increase the price of a barrel of crude. Um, so right now the bar- the barrels of crude that are being refined into uh, gas into petroleum products for sale didn't cost that much to uh, to buy, uh, and it didn't cost them that much to actually produce the product. So they are already jacking up prices where they haven't even incurred a windfall yet because they haven't bought these more expensive barrels of oil based on futures. Um, so I think it is very uh, true what John said earlier that the majority of this is not actually inflation because it hasn't currently cost the producers of oil any more money to produce their product, but they are charging more because they can get away with it. 
So that's one. Uh, but two, uh, Biden and, you know, to a large extent, this is also Trump's policy and Obama's policy. Obama um, and their administration um, orchestrated a, a coup amidst a, a general uprising in Ukraine in 2013 and 2014. And they put into power um, people who were more supplicant to United States and EU foreign policy demands. And then you had uh, Trump begin to authorize arms shipments to Ukraine. And around 2015, 2016, you had uh, NATO going in, multiple NATO countries, um, including the U.S. and Canada, but others going in and training battalions who are both in the formal Ukrainian military and also in um, sort of private militias. And then you have now Biden escalating it to the point where it's become a larger war. So you have three administrations pushing this policy um, that is affecting Europe in a large way. And it is mostly for energy policy. If they can keep Russia from being the Russia is Russia is the natural um, energy trading partner with Europe. Uh, but there are other countries that were natural energy trading partners with Europe, like Iran and Libya, but through similar measures, through war and sanctions, the United States has split apart other more sensible trading partners for Europe's energy needs so that the United States can now sign LNG contracts with Germany and other countries that could get, could get their energy much cheaper from um, closer neighbors. But instead, because of years and years of concerted efforts, they are now buying energy from the United States, or they're trying to, for instance, um, they're coaxing Israel to kind of expropriate more of Lebanese gas, which your, is in the sea outside of Lebanon. Your audio is actually kind of bad. Oh, let me, let me, can you hear me? Your audio is kind of breaking up. I'm going to turn off my Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's just, it kind of comes and goes. Is that any better? Well, let me ask you one question. Yeah, that's better. Let me ask you one question real quick. Yeah. Um, by Biden himself has said that oil prices or gas prices are going up. He, he, he basically just says, like, who's the price hike? So. Yeah, I mean, that's you, a crock of do shit. You, do, do you, so you don't agree with what Biden said? that it's, it's Why would I agree with that? So what, like, what evidence is there to support it? Is like, oh, yeah, so you don't agree when Biden says, like, the price of oil is going up in price. You don't agree with that. You think it's being manipulated in the futures market. Somehow, well, the, right? the the futures of oil are actually going up because of rational calculations. The calculations are only rational because the U.S. and Europe have insane foreign policy with their military for the purposes of energy. So because the most of the governments in Europe are not necessarily sovereign, they are uh, junior partners to the U.S. imperial project, they're okay with fucking over their own their own people's self-interest and that self-interest would be we should buy energy cheaper from russia from libya from iran but instead europe's governments go along with the united states plan and they're now signing contracts with the united states to buy liquefied natural gas from the u.s and canada which is more expensive there isn't actually enough supply to replace what has been lost um and they're not actually investing in increasing their uh, nuclear or wind power or hydropower or solar power in Europe. So they're fucking themselves. Um, and the price of oil is actually going to go up. But the, the, the price increases you've seen at the pump already in the United States are not due to a scarcity. They're due to price gouging. I, I, I will concede that um, perhaps um... – you know, I don't know. There's got to be a lag time, right? So maybe the best way to, to rationalize it or explain it is that the, the people who run the gas station, perhaps they bought this gas at a prior point, right? When, when, when oil was actually lower. And what, what I hear you say, you guys saying is that they've actually increased the price um, because of maybe what, uh, what the market is doing today, but they bought this oil in the past. So yeah, they're increasing the price because people don't understand. People don't understand oil futures. People think that when the when they see the price of a barrel of oil go up or down, they think that they they might assume that so, the entire market so, is a spot market where you're buying it right now 
instead of over long term contracts yeah. that are based off so, of futures. So the spot market is what people pay for the commodity today. And the futures market is what people are speculating on a future delivery of oil, you know, at some, right. at some month. So there's different months, right? There's, it, so. But when you sign a contract, theory, sometimes you sign a contract that says we're going to go with the market price, which benefits the oil producers. And sometimes you go with a contract that says we're going to pay a fixed rate over five or 10 years, which benefits the customer. So it's not it's not all either or, but in the vast majority of cases, the price hike at the gas pump is manipulation right now. In so the future, the there may be uh, a uh, sort of um, I don't want to say natural, but there may be a reactive rise in price of of what gas stations need to actually sell the gas for to still break even or turn a profit. That goes back to my so point earlier about Mexico, but anyways. So gas that goes into your tank is a refined derivative product from the, you know, bought oil or, or whatever that's trading. Yeah. Um, there's also, you think about this as a businessman who, who probably has to pay like utilities, like AC in his store. He's, he, you know, do people, I don't know anything about gas station businesses. Do they actually separate out um, the cost, like just the cost of what they're selling, the, oil, the gas, from like everything else they sell, so say candy bars or whatever else they're selling, and then like what are their costs? Like they have to hire people, they have to pay. Yeah, I think most. Bill, like, yeah, but you're but you're breaking it down actually to too much of an individual level because this is taking place at the refinery, right? So yeah, if uh, if there is an individual who has a who's part of not a cooperative, but you know how there's like a family that might own a Seven Eleven or a, or yeah. a AMPM store or whatever, like they, they might be the managers right. and they, they end up running more of the day-to-day -day business. They don't really have all that much control over the individual um, price per gallon at their pump because they have to a um, buy, they have, they have to deal with whatever the, the larger company says they have to deal with whatever the, the, yeah, they have to deal with whatever Arco or um, whatever, uh, Shell or whatever um, Exxon says. So when when these companies have relative monopolies over the industry, um, they are privatized. So they actually have no interest in acting for the public good. They are they are making the money. They are setting the prices. They are pretending that the inflation in oil futures has already cost them money, and so that they have to increase the price. But again, you can go back to John's earlier point. These companies post uh, profits per quarter so that they can get a response from their shareholders and their investments and they can uh, entice more investors into their sham <laughs> stock market. And they are advertising record profits right now. There have been higher oil futures in the past, like around the onset of the Iraq war. And at that time, the price per gallon in the United States was cheaper, even though the price per barrel of crude in futures was higher. So this behavior is, it's not novel. There's always price gouging and monopoly rent seeking. Um, but this is a different, um, you know, this is a different price per barrel in a similar situation we've seen before where the oil companies and the futures markets react due to wars that are strewn about oil producing nations. I, I know for a fact that at least ExxonMobil, they got rid of that business line. They don't actually own the gas stations anymore. Uh, but I, can't, I don't know about other majors. They, some other ma oil majors probably own their stations or take some kind of a royalty fee. Uh, or maybe Exxon takes a royalty fee for the brand, but they don't own the stations anymore. Um, well, even so, I well, I kind of want to move on because even so, I think that that um, you know, saying that maybe there's actually more uh, inflation or profit seeking at the level of the individual person who runs a station or a chain of stations. Um, I still think that's kind of missing the mark. I think well, that the, think the, the foreign the policy and the energy policy have much more to do. I, I just want to make one point that I think that, you know, and I haven't done a lot of research, but this is my speculation on the issue. The gas station people are really far away from the upstream oil, right? It has to be refined. It has to be sold. So 
I think that I would assume that these gas station people, unless there's a bigger group of them, that they're not hedging in the futures market, that they probably maybe they have a long term contract to buy at a certain rate from the from the oil companies. But eventually, like these rates get renegotiated and stuff. There's probably clauses in there if inflation goes up this much, if, our, if the oil producer costs go up, then there's they probably renegotiate the deal. So I just I tend to think that like these I tend to give these gas stations the benefit of the doubt and, and blame more. That's what I'm saying. On inflation, but I don't know the details and I haven't done the research. But I would just I would just I would just give them the benefit of the doubt until I see evidence really uh, to the contrary. Yeah. So there were a couple other points you made. Uh, if do you have time to talk about um, the sort of perception about Biden being opposed to the oil industry or Biden's um, um, place in the political landscape? Because those were other things I wanted to talk about as well. I don't. I don't think I have a lot of time for that. Uh, but if you want to, re- if you want to, if you want to continue this on, I'd be happy to to talk about it further. Uh, some, at some point. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Case. Sometimes on Thursdays I have a show where I just don't have a subject prepared and we can just talk about whatever people want. Or if you do another episode, I'll try to tune in if I have time. Yeah. And I kind of do them randomly, even though I, I tend to sometimes schedule them. I, I, I'm really bad about not sticking to a certain time frame. but, but if you do, if you like message me or something, just say, do it this time at this day, then I can, I can plan on that. <laughs> sure. Uh, why don't, <laughs> well, huh? I want to do like a one minute, one or two minute real quick. Just lay it out, lay out your case. I can, I can, uh, Oh I yeah. Okay. A couple minutes, but. So at the beginning of Biden's term in office, he released a series of executive actions that, um, that sometimes people make too much out of. So he canceled the Keystone XL pipeline expansion. Um, and he also temporarily uh, paused new oil and gas leases. Uh, but since then, Biden has continued to really avidly push fossil fuel infrastructure expansion in the United States. He and his uh, secretary of the interior, Deb Haaland have signed off more uh, leases on public land Um you know, per unit of time per year uh, than Trump was. And Trump was pretty heavy um, on the oil and gas leases. But really, there's been very little change in the rate of oil and gas lease signing and extraction um, between the three presidents of Obama and Trump and Biden. What about the broader idea of Biden saying that we need to reduce fossil fuel uh, usage in this country and go completely renewable. Uh, well, this is kind of to my, I think this is kind of to my other point that Biden is one of the more right wing politicians, uh, who's been in government over the past 40 or 50 years. If you just look on a, on a, on the basis of what laws he has authored, voted for passed, and promoted on the house and Senate floor, uh, he is an extremely right wing politician. So his, I don't think use, could, I have to call you out on that. I mean, the last two years of, or last year of Biden, I don't think anybody would call him right wing. And I don't really care what his views were 30 years ago. I care about what he what his views are today. So, well, sure. What he's doing now is he's put neoconservatives. He's he, put he he's. Be, well, hold on. Just just give me a second here. So he's he's reappointed a number of different people that were in Trump's administration. I think nobody really argues that Trump is right wing. Biden had no problem with a lot of different appointments, including the ambassador to, to Russia, the secretary of the Treasury. About he, about Biden saying we need to get off fossil fuels to save. Well, I was getting to that because it's a part of my it's a part <laughs> of my point here is that Biden <laughs> rhetorically <laughs> says a lot of different things, but Biden is a pathological liar. He says a lot of different things. He knows, and his um, consultants know because really he's but too old to actually Biden. run a campaign. <laughs> It's pretty much everyone in his, in his administration. There's no. I'm addressing that. I'm Lindsay. Hold on. I'm addressing that. I just said his. It's really his consultants and his PR people who are crafting a lot of his public statements. They understand that there is a popular desire for renewable energy. People don't. People. People largely, I think, are nearly two thirds of the citizens of the United States believe that there is an issue with. Uh, climate. There's a lot of people who believe there because of um, basically human induced 
fossil fuel burning induced um, warming of the atmosphere. People believe most people believe that's Wait, a problem in the United States, and Biden so Biden's administration. What? Sorry, but so you just said that Biden is for fossil fuel use, but every everything coming out of his administration is that he's against rhetorically. Rhetorically, what's coming out of his in, in administration is playing off of the real desires of the majority of the American people, which is they don't want to be polluting the environment. They don't want to be polluting yeah, every which water source and all of the air in major cities. So he rhetorically capitalizes off of that. So you think it's just a bunch of talk and there's no real teeth to Biden's yep. uh, hammering about fossil fuel industry needing to go I think away. there's no I think there's no teeth to any of Biden's uh, promises he made on the campaign trail in public. I think there's no teeth to a single one of Biden's campaign promises he made in public on the campaign trail. Uh, just like I think just like I think the there's no teeth to going well. Well, just like I think there's no teeth to uh, to Trump's statements that he's anti-war because, for instance, he uh, he basically pardoned all of the the worst offending war criminals okay, of the I Bush to, era. All right, I have to end the. I got to end it here. I think we got off topic a little bit, but um, but we could talk about this again sometime. I just have to. I just have to go now. So. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, hopefully we can talk in the future soon. Yep. Thank you. Okay, bye, guys. You too. Bye.